we're back in Galatians uh, chapter 5 tonight. Uh, we kind of camped out a little bit on the passage having to do with the fruit of the Spirit. We've been walking through Galatians passage by passage. And as we get into the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, what I've been telling you is that we'll also turn to other passages of Scripture that have to do with that particular fruit of the Spirit. I normally like to stay in one passage and go down through that passage, but when you're talking about one word and one verse in Galatians, you kind of need to look at other places and see how it's dealt with. So that's what we're doing. And uh, tonight, what we're, we're in the fourth part of the fruit of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and we're talking about patience in a world that has none. Patience in a world that has none. And uh, let's go back to 16 where the uh, pericope or the unit of thought begins. And we'll read down through verse 23. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There was a school teacher, a first grade teacher, had a room full of uh, six and seven year olds. In fact, uh, about 32 in her class. And the weather that day was, was terrible. They're telling me to move back to the cameras. So anyway, for those watching online. But anyway, uh, it was a terrible day outside weather-wise, so I mean the, the classroom was just all the more pent up with energy because they'd not been out for recess and things of that nature. And so by the end of the day, the teacher was just exasperated. And uh, some of the kids had rubber boots to put on because it was raining so hard. And finally she got to the last little girl putting rubber boots on and she was so tired as a teacher, she was ready to get home. And those boots, I mean, they were the right ones for that little girl, she thought, but they just didn't fit right. She struggled getting those little rubber boots over the girl's shoes, and she struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled. Finally got one on, then got the other one on. And the little girl looked up at her and said, Teacher, you know these aren't my boots, don't you? <laughs> so then she had to struggle and struggle and struggle to get them back off. And then the little, little girl looked back up at her and said, they're my sisters. She just lets me wear them. 
We all need patience, don't we? Henry Ford once said, patience is the ability to idle your engine when you feel like stripping your gears. <laughs> Famous preacher Philip Brooks was known for his poise, for his calmness. But one day, uh, some close friends noticed that he didn't seem to be calm and poised. Seemed to be pretty anxious and frustrated and pacing back and forth. And they said, Dr. Brooks, what's wrong today? And he said, I'll tell you what's wrong. I'm in a hurry and God's not. <laughs> you know, because God is seldom early but never late, we need patience, don't we? To live on his timetable. Now, the word Paul uses here is a word that can be so incredibly rich in meaning. It refers to being patient, uh, but also being long-suffering or being forbearing. It's a compound Greek word. Uh, the first part of it, the, the compound word, means long, and the second part of it means anger. And so it means to be long-tempered or slow to anger. You're to be patient with people and you're to be patient with circumstances. You and I are to be long-suffering, long-tempered. We're to be forbearing. You don't see much of that in the world today, do you? But it's the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, it's the result of being Spirit-filled. As we've been talking, this ninefold fruit of the Spirit, you don't accomplish this by focusing on the fruit. He doesn't say, be filled with patience. What's he say, be filled with? Be filled with the Spirit. We focus on God, our relationship with Him, just like Jesus said in, in John 15, abide in Him and he and us and abide in his word and we'll bear fruit. So we bear the fruit of the spirit by walking in the spirit and abiding in Christ. And that's how patience uh, becomes a reality in our lives too. Well, when we talk about patience, I want you to turn with me over to the book of James because James says a lot about patience. And if you're taking notes... Uh, the first thing I would have you write down here out of James uh, chapter 5, turn to James 5, and the first thing I would want you to write down is the need of patience. The need of patience. James says, be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Folks, this is a command. It is a command that under certain situations, under certain situations, we can only have this quality about us or this fruit about us as a result of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
Now, let me set the table about what was going on in James's audience that makes this command here all the more important. Go back to verse 1 through 5 for a minute. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. What in the world is going on here? Well, there were rich landowners in James' day on huge plots of property. And just like landowners do today, they hire workers. And back then, they would hire day laborers. And in the first century, a day laborer, you would pay them at the end of the day, give them their wages for that day, and then they would be able to go to the marketplace and, you know, they didn't have refrigerator stuff like we have today. So they would, they would go to the, uh, the, the local markets and use their wages to buy their food and take home to their family. But James is a, addressing some ungodly landowners here that have all these day laborers and they get to the end of the day, just don't pay them. Hey, if they don't come back tomorrow, we'll find other day laborers. No big deal. Don't pay them. And then because of the way the court system, the judges were bribed by the rich, if the day laborers went to the court system and complained, depending on how wicked the landowner was, uh, some commentators say we don't need to lighten what James is saying here. Some of these corrupt landowners, they would even have the day laborer murdered who was causing them trouble. And they had no recourse of action. Because again, the, the rich back then controlled everything, controlled the court system. Doesn't that, doesn't that make you think of a parable Jesus told about a little widow? Remember that parable? She kept going before a powerful judge and could he wouldn't even pay any attention to her. Probably whoever she's complaining against. It's a parable, but probably what we're intended to see that whoever she's complaining against probably brought the judge. He wouldn't even hear her case. All she had going for her was her what? Persistence. Persistence. So again, the, the, the poor back then, we think of rights that people have today. They didn't back then. And so you can't get much more corrupt than what James is talking about here. And, and yet, what does James tell him to do in verse 7? Be patient. How could God command this? Well, if you turn back to James 1, sort of a, a, a sub-point, if you will, or a bullet point under the first point, how could, how could James co command this? Because God uses trials 
to build patience. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so God uses difficult circumstances to produce endurance in us, to build patience. It's a different word for patience than we see in, in James 5, but the meaning is similar. James 5 is talking more about difficult people that try us, and the word in James 1 is talking more about difficult circumstances that try us. So whether it's difficult circumstances or difficult people, what do we need? We need patience. And God uses tough times to build patience and endurance in us. We're not glad for the difficulty. We're glad for the result, the outcome. You know, it wasn't until God tested Abraham that he knew that Abraham um, was the one he, he was going to build a nation through. And after God tested it, I think of Genesis 22 with Isaac. It wasn't until God had Joseph in prison in Egypt that Joseph was really in a position to be used by God. It wasn't until God had Moses on the backside of the desert for 40 years that Moses was ready to go back and deliver the children of God out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt. And so James says we're to consider it an occasion for joy when we encounter difficult circumstances or difficult people because of what God is able to, to bring about in us through that. And so God wants us to have the right attitude though. To be prayerful to Him and submissive to Him and letting God have His work in us to build these qualities character and hope and patience and so forth. Well, another bullet point you could put under point number one, uh, the, the need of patience, is because God is a God of patience. If you were to look back at uh, Galatians 5, to the, to the fruit of the flesh, you'll see how opposite the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are. The works of the flesh are what? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Quite the opposite list that begins in verse 22, right? Jesus is able to turn envy into goodness, fornication into self-control, outburst of anger into long-suffering. You see how that can be paired up? How the Spirit makes the difference? You say, how can that be? Because it's through the Spirit and God is a God of patience. In fact, in Romans 15, verses 5 to 6, Romans 15, 5 to 6, Paul says this. 
Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 Peter 3.20, Peter says, Who once were disobedience when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. And then in 2 Peter 3.9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you and not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so God is not only a God of love, he's not only a God of joy and peace, but also he's a God of patience. Think of how God has displayed his patience. Think of how he's displayed his patience toward you. How he's been long-suffering toward you. Think about those year, months and years before you came to faith in Christ. How God was working in your life and providing for you even then in leading you to repentance. He was patient. Even His work of discipline in you is a work of patience. He takes the time to discipline you and chasten you to get you back on the right track. Folks, we would all have to shudder today in fear if God were not patient with each one of us. Where would any of us be? God is patient with the world. God could wipe out the world right now, but He's patient. Why hasn't Christ come back yet? The patience of God. Giving people time to repent and come to Him. So be patient. Be patient because God develops qualities in you through what He's doing. And God Himself is a God of patience. And so if we're going to be like Him, if we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ, we need to be patient. Another bullet point here, because of the coming of the Lord. Be paid the need of patience because of the coming of the Lord. Think of our ultimate hope. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. G. Campbell Morgan, that famous preacher, said, To me the second coming is the perpetual light on the path which makes the present bearable. Every wrong is going to be set right. Every motive is going to be seen. Everything's going to be judged just right. God is a righteous judge. And that means you and I don't have to take vengeance. We don't have to try to get even. You might feel like there's circumstances or people in your life from a human perspective. You'd like to blow your stack or be bitter against them. You might even want to get even with somebody. Maybe you feel like somebody's giving you the short end of the stick. Man, you want to give them the short end of the stick too, right? Remember in Gilligan's Island how when they get the straw skipper and always break Gilligan so he'd get the short end of the stick. Maybe you feel like there's a skipper breaking the stick, the straw, and you get the short straw. But you know what? The Bible says, let no root of bitterness get into your life. Be long-tempered, be forbearing, be patient. That's one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And again, it's supernatural. And as you think about the illustration that James gives here, who is it? What, what livelihood or what career path person does James use as an example of patience? 
The farmer. Exactly. The farmer's a lesson in being patient. In being patient, isn't he? He can't hurry the crop along. All he can do is prepare the soil, plant the seed, get the weeds out. Back then, natural fertilizers. But he'd have to sit back and be patient on the early and late rains, right? And if the early and late rains didn't come, he wouldn't have a crop. But there were matters that were out of his hands. He just had to wait. Be patient. A farmer is a snapshot of, of patience, the patience uh, James is, is, is talking about. You can't control everything around you. But you know, patience isn't passive, is it? But a lot of people think to be patient, you just kind of sit back and fold your arms and do nothing. But look at what James has to say about that. When he talks secondly, the second main thing I want you to write down is the nature of patience. Look at James 5 again, beginning there in verse 8. You also be patient, establish your hearts or strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door as an example of suffering and patience. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so developing patience demands what? that we establish or strengthen our hearts. Don't give up. Bible says we're to respond to, to difficulty with determination. The word for strengthen here, strengthen your hearts or establish your hearts, it is the same word that was used in Luke 9.51 to explain how Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem even though he knew what awaited him there. He established his heart to go there because that was the purpose of God for him. It's the same word here. Establish your own heart or strengthen your own heart. Keep your focus on the end result. Ask yourself, what's God's purpose in this? If it's a difficult person, strengthen your heart. Show them the love of Christ. And then go out and be patient. And don't just give a show of patience. Really do it. I think of the American soldiers back in the Korean War. When they were stationed over there, they hired this little Korean boy as sort of their housemate. And uh, they were unmerciful on him. They would bully him. They would tease him. They would pull little nasty surprises on him, nail his shoes to the floor. They would, they would grease the handles on the stove. They, they were kidding him all in fun, but sometimes he'd get a little bit out of hand. Finally, these American soldiers, they got convicted about how they were doing this little Korean boy. And they called him one, in one day. They called him to come in and, and apologize to him for the way they treated him. He said, we're not going to do that anymore. He said, no more nail shoes to the floor. They said, no more nail shoes to the floor. No more put sticky stuff on the stove. No more of that. And he kind of went through rehearsing a litany of things they were doing against. They said, no, no more any of that. He said, 
Okay, no more spit in your food. <laughs> they thought he had just been so patient. <laughs> but it was a show. His patience was just pretend. Don't be a pretender. Be patient. Establish your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. And don't be a quitter either. Maybe you've seen that in church. How many times have you seen somebody grow discouraged and maybe somebody unjustly criticizes them and they say, well, you know what? I'll just quit. Or maybe they have a little pity party. But James says, hold it right there. Strengthen your hearts. I like what uh, Williams in Williams' New Testament translation uh, says about this. He translates it. Put some iron in your heart. Put some iron in your heart. The idea is strengthen your heart. Be gracious. Be stronger. Bear up under the load. You say, I can't do that. No, you can't. Because again, what's the key that we're talking about here in Galatians 5? This is the fruit of the Spirit that comes as a result of walking in the Spirit. Another bullet point here. Developing patience demands that we refuse to complain. Look at verses 9 and 10. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, you might wonder why James, in talking about patience, is suddenly introducing the thought here of complaining. It seems like an intrusion into the text almost, right? But it's not, is it? Because what do you and I tend to do when we're being tried either by difficult people or difficult circumstances? We gripe and complain about them, don't we? The word can even mean to hold a grudge, want to get even. We talked about that a moment ago. James says, don't travel down this road. William Barclay describes as well. He says, this is the grace of a man who could avenge himself but does not and is slow to wrath. Now, to the Greeks, the big man was the man who would go all out for vengeance. But to the Christian, the big man is who? Somebody who, instead of getting even or grumbling or complaining, is patient. Strengthens his heart. He's patient and he doesn't grumble. And then as an example of this, James uses the prophets. If anybody had a right to grumble and complain, it was the prophets. I mean, have you read any of the prophets lately? How people would do them. Eleven times in the New Testament, we're reminded of how the prophets were treated. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are you when men cast insults 
at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then in Matthew 23, 37, Jesus also said, Old Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. I think of Jeremiah. God, God said to Jeremiah, before I even formed you in the womb, I knew you and called you to be a prophet to the nations. And you'll remember in Jeremiah 7 and in 26, the famous temple sermon. Same, same occasion in both chapters. Now, 20, 26 tells us more of the, the results of the temple sermon. But when Jeremiah was to go and stand at the gate of the temple and tell the people, you know, you say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, you're trusting in the temple of the Lord and vain words, hey, we're God's people, the temple of the Lord. And he says, no, you need to amend your ways and quit treating the temple of the Lord like a den of robbers. A den of robbers is a hideout while, people, while robbers plan their next thievery. And he said, that's kind of how you're using the temple. You come here putting your trust in the temple and that you're God's people, but you can't wait to get out of the doors and get right back to your evil. And boy, he just peels the skin back with them. And you remember their response to Jeremiah? What did they want to do to Jeremiah? Wanted to kill him. In one chapter, I, I believe it's Jeremiah 12, talks about even his family as a result of that wanted to kill him or do something evil to him. Even this, how about that for an introduction to ministry? You get out and preach your first sermon and even your family wants to kill you. And that's how it was with Jeremiah. And finally they, they put him in stocks and they gouged his eyes out. And yet the prophets endured. What a testimony they are today that we would be patient and endure and not grumble. And then in verse 11, James introduces exhibit number two from the Old Testament. Not just the prophets, but who's he bring up? Job. Man, if, if, there, if the Olympics had a medal for patience or endurance, Job would get the gold medal, wouldn't he? Uh, God allowed Satan to take Job's family away, to take his wealth away, to even take his health away. And Job endured, even though Job's wife said, curse God and die. He also had friends who were saying, it's your fault, you've sinned, you brought this on yourself. But go back to James 5.11 and, 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 and look at what it says again. You've seen the purpose of the Lord. You, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In Job 42, Job... Uh, turn back to Job a minute, because I, I want you to read it. Job 42, 1 to 6. 
Look what Job says in Job 42.1-6. He answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak, I will question you and and." You make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You hear what Job is saying there after all this hardship? What's Job saying? Lord, I see now. I've learned things about you through these difficult circumstances that I could have never known about otherwise. Again, what's James' point? Strengthen your hearts. Establish your hearts. Put some iron into your hearts. Be strong and enduring. Quit complaining. And quit quitting and giving up. God commands us to be patient. He's a God of patience. And this is something He does in and through us as we walk in the Spirit. Let me give you a couple of lessons here. Lesson number one, know that God has not forgotten you. Know that God has not forgotten you. You never have to get impatient with God. God's wisdom is perfect and His timing is perfect. And as I said before, He is seldom early, but he's never late. And while he has you waiting, what's he doing? He's teaching you. He's molding you and making you the way he wants you to be. But he knows where you are. He knows your address. He knows every hair on your head. Be patient. God's not forgotten. Secondly, another lesson, know that God's in control. In fact, the difficult circumstances you face or the difficult people you encounter may have even been directly sent to you by God himself. You ever think about that? Because again, that's what he uses to grow us sometimes, right? You know, usually when we're comfortable and everything's going just right, do we grow in those times? No. We get complacent. So God may send you difficult people and circumstances because He is in control and He's going somewhere with you and He knows how to get you there. A third very important lesson, don't focus on your situation, keep your eyes on the be faithful. Maybe I should even say when you understand it the least, keep your eyes on him the most. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. Patience, developing patience, in a world that has none. 
Any comments? Talk about patience. You know, a lot of God's prophets never realized or attained or anything else any recognition, thanks, or anything. They often died sure. and were not appreciated until long after they were gone. What's the writer of Hebrews say about that? You remember that? At the end of Hebrews 11? You know, they received the promises, but they didn't, they didn't even see the fulfillment of them. Right. Yeah. They didn't even see the fulfillment of them. And the writer of Hebrews talks about that. Yeah. That they, you know, they are going to, and the writer of Hebrews says, together with us, they will be perfected. They will see the promises realized. But in their lifetimes, they didn't. It's just like Moses. All 40 years of leading the nation of Israel through the desert, but all that he did to serve that nation. Yep. He messed up, but he still got to see ahead. Sure. And that encouraged him immensely. Thank goodness for the prophets we had and the fact that they were able to see through until, you know, the other side. Yep. yep. And Absolutely. they got their reward and thanks and everything else. And so we must be prepared. We may deal with this as long as we live, whatever it may be. And Strengthen uh, your hearts. Establish your hearts. Well, don't grow bitter and complain, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You have to realize it's hard to do, though. I, sure. as a believer, I, you know, that's my shortcoming sometimes. I, I get impatient with things. And uh, well, I do too. My wife will tell you my biggest impatience is behind the wheel of the car. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the political situation and things like that. But uh, all of it is to be realized, though, that God's on his throne, God is in control, moving at his chosen speed, and we have to realize that as crazy as things look. He is going to unleash and let a lot of things fly before we ever see any peace in our lives or sure. whatever. You know. yeah. And we just have to realize that. Keep telling yourself that. And we don't know the means by which God will do it. And I've been reading Habakkuk this week, and he's like, Lord, don't you see all this corruption in the land? And people don't love your word anymore. They don't love your word and even our court systems and all so corrupt. Do you not see how your people in Judah are living? Are you not going to do anything? God says, yeah, I'm going to do something. I'm raising up the Babylonians to come in and, and destroy my people. And then everybody's like, what? You've got to be kidding. You're going to use a more wicked people to judge us? And, then, and God says, yep, but you know what? When I'm done doing that, I'm going to deal with Babylonians too. <laughs> So see it in parallel with the modern age that we're in right. now. He's punishing the wrong people. <laughs> you know. But uh, if you really uh, genuinely looked at us, we ain't so hot either, you know. And all that. And it's just so hard to stay focused that way. I admit it myself, and I'm sure if a lot of us are honest with ourselves, we could actually say that about ourselves as well. Sure. Absolutely.
I just have a short fuse. I take medicine for that. (laughs) 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 Okay, anybody else? Richard? Sometimes bad things happen when you're impatient. You know, I'm thinking of uh, Saul or Peter or even Elijah. Right. When we're impatient, you know, I mean, bad things might be happening to you, so you get impatient, but worse things will happen to you when you when you uh, are impatient. Sure. You know, it's uh, terrible. It's hard. (laughs) Elijah had to be reminded he wasn't only one. Remember? Oh, yeah. 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 Had a pity party and thought he was the only one. God said, nope, I've reserved 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. God will send you trials. That's what James, that's what scripture talks about. Where is it? Uh, tribulation produces patience. Romans 5. Romans 5. Romans 5. Lord, we we ask your forgiveness for the many times we are impatient and we don't really show that fruit of the Spirit is so important. When we think of the Lord, how how patient he was with the disciples and how how dumb they were sometimes it seems like 
won't they ever learn? And he was patient and loving and, and just, uh, and he was patient all the way to the cross. And, and uh, Lord, we thank you for being patient with us for the mistakes we make because we are impatient. We ask your forgiveness and we look forward to uh, being more like you and uh, help us in our walk. And we pray for those that uh, are going through lots of sickness and trials right now um, that you would give them a sense of peace and rest and you say you were not to be anxious for nothing for anything and they sure have a lot to be anxious for as the world looks at it but Lord I, I, I pray their rest would be in you and that you would bring them through their uh, their sicknesses and discouragement whatever it might be and uh, bring them out stronger, bring us out stronger as we walk uh, more with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, in addition to those in Afghanistan, we uh, also pray for those families in Middle Tennessee. Some who have lost everything in floods, we pray that you would undergird them and strengthen them during this time as they try to rebuild their lives. We pray for uh, their housing, their food, their clothing, their, their loved ones, Lord, that you would be at work in them that they would see your handiwork in their lives in a, in a time that's very discouraging for them. And Father, we thank you for the reports of many folks, many relief organizations, including Southern Baptist, coming and trying to help them uh, in the midst of, of the disaster. 
And Lord, certainly for these Christians in Afghanistan who are being told that they're going to be hunted down and killed, we pray for uh, them that, uh, Lord, that they would just cling tightly to you. Uh, I've heard reports of some of them uh, fully expecting in the next week or two to meet Jesus. And uh, Father, I just pray that uh, you would fill them with peace in their hearts despite of what's going on in the world, in their, in their own country. Lord, we have no clue what some of the saints around the globe are suffering. So God, we just appeal to you. We, we know that you're the God of all comfort and Lord, that you're the God of mercy, all mercy. And so we just pray that you work in their lives, bringing protection and provision and deliverance because you're the rock. You're the strong tower. You're our deliverer. You're the one in whom is our hope. And the psalmist said, you're a present help in time of trouble. So Lord, be a present help for those in a tremendous time of trouble right now, whether in this country or in Afghanistan or wherever. We pray for our missionaries who are trying to minister in some of these difficult places in the world. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd use them in mighty ways. And God, we pray that you'd create a hunger in people to know you. Uh, Lord, strengthen us here in America. Strengthen us with uh, abundance that you've given us. Strengthen us to do your will. That we will be found found faithful when you return. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.